now you have things like geo-distributed AI, right, in real time. And, and these concepts are kind of new. So now all of a sudden you have a whole different approach to look at how do I do AI? How do I do machine learning? How do I empower my edge in a different way that I could never really imagine before? Welcome to Light Data Action, the podcast that's on a mission to help you discover new technology trends and tools and better understand how they affect the world around us. Light Data Action is sponsored and produced by Lumen Technologies, the platform for amazing things. I'm your host, Terry Barbonis, and in each episode, I'll speak with industry executives and thought leaders to discuss how these technologies change the way we do business, how they influence the fourth industrial revolution, and how you can stay ahead of the innovation. If you're ready, let's join the conversation. Hey, everybody, welcome. Today, I want to talk about data and specifically data's time to value. Now, time to value is typically described as the amount of time it takes to derive value from something. Uh, in an organization, that something might be your customer getting value from a product and a service and therefore remaining your customer. From a data perspective, time to value can define how quickly from the time the data is acquired for you to analyze it and inform uh, decisions for everything from the customer experience, your operations, manufacturing, and so forth. Now, those companies that can accelerate the time to decision and therefore value, they're the ones that have a competitive advantage over others. They figure out how to become really good at it, and it really becomes an incredible superpower within uh, not only their, their own company, their own enterprise, but within the industry. Now, the challenge is that there's a lot of data, especially when we talk about things like the fourth industrial revolution and industry 4.0 and all the devices like phones that we have in our pockets. We have so much data, in fact, that extracting intelligence from it remains a far-flung dream for some organizations even today. According to Forrester and other analysts, enterprises need to adopt uh, future state architecture and technologies to help mitigate the data transformation burden. My guest today believes his company provides one such future state technology solution for doing just that. Steve Wallow is the chief technology officer of Vicinity, where he oversees the application of advanced technologies and strategies into customer architectures and future IT decision methodologies. Steve, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Hey, thanks, Terry. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here and talk about what we're bringing technology-wise to the industry. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. It's different. It's something that a lot of people don't think is possible. So I think as we talk through this today, you're going to you and your, or your your audience here will actually get some unique views on what's available today compared to what they had in the past to work with. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's awesome. And did I have your your title and sort of what you do correctly? If there's anything else you want to add, please please do so for the audience. Sure. Yeah. So as the CTO, you're absolutely right. My job is to make sure that first and foremost, we're communicating what the value of vicinity is to the industry, where it fits, where it applies, how people can use it, how they can do unique things in a different way to get value from the data, as you mentioned. Um, I also happen to lead the uh, the post and pre-sales engineering. So uh, my job there is to pretty much do the support and stay out of the way so that the guys can actually get the right things done. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good company. It's a great company. Uh, the technology itself is, is very new. 
um, it's very disruptive. And, and uh, that's something I think we're going to really focus on today and, and give people an insight into what's going on. Yeah, awesome. So, so let me start with this. I, I talked about in my opening about this idea of time to value, how, how it seems like it's a huge challenge, at least, that we're going to be going through for a long time. I mean, as long as data obviously keeps exploding from year in and year out, how big of an issue is it? What's the lens that vicinity uses to just look at sort of the, the problem statement that it tries to solve with your technologies and services? Sure, absolutely. So if you think about data, you know, there's a perishability with data, right? Sometimes by the time you get the data where you need it to be to, in order to use it, the value of that data is diminished, right? It's not necessarily the data itself, it's the value associated with it. Um, one of the things that, that Vicinity has looked at is the common problem, which is my data and my compute traditionally have to be sitting right beside each other. Right? If my data is being created in one spot in the world and I need it to be somewhere else in order for my applications and my users to do something with it, traditionally I have to take a copy of that data and I got to move it around. Right, And that takes some time to do that. And that's fundamentally what we've set out to do was to break that paradigm where my compute, my data have to be beside each other. That's been around since the ENIAC was created, right? The old computer. It, everybody's, it's used to it. That's what everybody accepts and, and, and tries to work with. And we, sh we, we shattered that right? To use our term, shatter the limits of connectedness. So the idea is that if I don't have to actually co-locate my compute, my data anymore, then that issue of the time it takes to move and co-locate data with compute goes away. And that's fundamentally what we're doing. We're giving people a different approach to how they use data that's not sitting beside them. It's the idea that, hey, wherever in the world my data is being created, I can immediately start using it, right? And if you look at some of the, the things in the in the industry right now, everything's about application mobility, right? I'm going right. to containerize things. I'm going to make it so that I can write an application, you know, at the edge and I can move it to multiple clouds. And that's fantastic. You know, we've done a lot of great things in that. Uh, but the fundamental piece that's still missing is, well, what about the data, right? You know, I can move my application in an instant anywhere around the world, but then I'm sitting around waiting for my data to follow it. And that's right. what we've changed, right? It's the idea to, to, again, decouple that piece of information. That's what Vicinity really set out to do. And, you know, I think as we walk through some of the, the use cases in the tech, you'll see that it's a unique approach, right? But it, it really opens up a different way for people to look at the information and how they can use information because no longer are they looking at the data, they're looking at the value of the data that I'm getting in real time. And that fundamentally changes AI, it changes machine learning, you know, there's there's so many things that that I think open up in that lens that you talked about, right? right. Uh, that we're really gonna, it's it's really gonna change some things. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, and and it's pretty amazing because I didn't, you know, I realized that for myself in terms of prepping for for this episode that, you know, we talk about acquiring data, we kind of take it for granted. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's no, there 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 it is, and yet the reality of it is when you think about it, it's you know, how do I get the data that's over here? Mm -hmm. you know, over there rather, bring it over here. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned the, uh, the, the quote I saw on your website, you know, shattering the limits of connectedness. Let's, uh -huh. uh, let's get a little bit into the technology because again, having looked at, at 
kind of your your website and kind of read a little bit into this, it seems like Vicinity has really, really likes, uh, you know, the science fiction writer Arthur C. <laughs> Clarke when he called his, his uh, what he called Clarke's third law, when he stated that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sure you get that a lot. I mean, I kind of looked at it as a as a technologist and said, how is this happening? Talk a little more. Let's talk a little bit about the technology. Um, and for the audience, let's make sure we try to simplify it sure. uh, just to connect the dots through analogy and, and, and so forth. So um, what does this look like? So when you yeah. talk about, let's start with just access to data, right? So mm-hmm. we're talking about, we're not talking about moving or transferring data. We're talking about data is somewhere and we're reaching out and touching it and using it and, and getting value from it almost immediately. Is that is that a good way to look at it? That's a, that's 100% correct. And it's interesting to use the term magic because we would always tell people, well, we can't make elephants fly, but uh, somehow Vicinity figured out how to do that. Right. And most people don't believe it's possible. So yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about what this means, right? And it, it, it is very unique. It's very different. And it goes against the culture, the traditional thinking that people have, which is my data is thousands of miles away. It's going to take me time to use it. Right. So that that's, again, that's what we've broken. So how do, how do we do this? Right. And it's not one thing that we've done. You know, there's not one kind of magic bullet that we've created that makes all this possible. It's really a blend or a marriage of different things that we put together that creates an opportunity or a solution for people to do something different. Okay. So let me walk through a couple of these things. And one of them, and if you go to our website, you might've seen the term RDMA, remote direct memory access. Well, what in the world is that thing? Right? So again, we're going to highlight maybe two or three of these things. One of the, 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 the pitfalls of working with information over distance, a lot of times is the protocols people use. You might've heard things like TCP or UDP. And, you know, these sure. are some of the old protocols, right? Right. And, you know, they work very well, especially in the in the confines of a data center, but they fall apart over distance, right? So, for example, TCP is a very chatty protocol, right? And if I'm going to say, hey, did you get my data? And you're going to say, well, I think I did. And, and I think I got this much. And you're going to say, well, I got this much. And all that chattiness, when you start to put latency in there, just it, it creates a horrible experience. So that doesn't work. So the industry went out and they said, well, we'll use UDP or a modified version of that, which essentially says, I'm just going to put data on the wire and I hope it gets there, right? So I've essentially moved the problem of, did it get there to somebody else? So you really didn't solve the problem. You just remove the responsibility of, of making sure that it did. So what Vicinity did instead was we took this RDMA thing. We said, okay, what is this? What is RDMA? And if you look at the high performance computing industry, Right? These are the supercomputers in the world, and they have a very unique way of talking to each other. And it's essentially this memory-to-memory thing. It bypasses a lot of the processing and all that kind of stuff. It's essentially a shortcut. Think of the expressway on a highway. Right? We figured out how to use this memory-to-memory transfer to, to avoid all the, the, bo- the bottlenecks, all the traffic. The problem with that tech was that it works great in the four walls of a data center, Right, things like InfiniBand and Rocky. But it can never extend over distance. And one of the things that Vicinity did was we figured out how to actually change that paradigm. And now I can take this memory-to-memory thing, which is very lightweight, very high-performant, very low latency, and I can extend it globally over distance. Now, one of the things that we want to make sure, and you look at the goals of what Vicinity did, right? It was to create an experience where my data, regardless of distance, was available to me to use, right, in real time. But 
we had to make sure that it could be done in a way where you didn't have to change a lot of the architecture. It had to be simple for people to use. It had to work on existing things and you didn't have to make a lot of changes, right? I always tell people, you right, know, I can give right. you the greatest things in sliced bread, but if, if, if you can't drop it in, you have to spend billions of dollars to use it, there's no value, right? So what we did is we took this memory to memory thing that we've created and we wrapped it in an environment in packet format that makes it look like everything else that's on the wire. So it looks like a standard IP packet. It looks like things that the WAN already understands. It looks like things that people get, right? So one of the first things we did is create this new mechanism of protocol that allows people to talk or exchange these memory-to-memory high-performance things over global distances, leveraging the infrastructure that they do, okay? So that's right. one thing. Now, the other part, people say, okay, all right, you're getting, I, I get it. You're making these memory-to-memory transfers. That's really cool. Uh, and you're saying you can keep the data over there and not have to make copies, but you got to move something. So what in the world right, are you moving, right. right? So I always tell people, I use my laptop as an example all the time, <clears throat> which is, okay, let's say I have an application on my laptop. Uh, maybe it's a, a CAD program, right? Lots of different layers, you know, lots of, maybe I'm making an autonomous vehicle. And what happens is as I work through the application, I have a hard drive on my laptop. Maybe there's a terabyte of data on that hard drive. The application doesn't ask for the entire terabyte to be moved into memory. It normally says, oh, I would like these layers. I would like this piece or this chunk of the data that's sitting on my hard drive. And you move through the operating system, the file system, all that kind of stuff. The application says, I would like this piece. And you go grab that piece out of the hard drive and you do a memory transfer. You put it into memory and the application uses it, right? So you're only moving these little chunks. Well, if I can do the same thing, meaning I can take the hard drive out of my laptop and I can put it thousands of miles away. And if I have the intelligence to pay attention to what the application is asking for, and it says, oh, I would like this piece of data, and I go out over distance and I grab just that piece of data of interest, not the whole thing, maybe a gig of that terabyte, and I turn it into that high-speed memory-to-memory thing we just talked about, if I do that process fast enough, the application still thinks that the data is sitting right beside it. Right. And that's fundamentally what we do. So it's a marriage of a very effective and efficient way to get data from A to B, but only move the data of interest. Where in the past, you say, well, you know, I only need a gigabyte of this terabyte data set, but I have to move a whole terabyte. It takes me a day to do that. Now we only move the pieces of interest, right? So those are a couple of ideas of, you know, some of the things that we've done to kind of marry things together to create that experience. So... And, that, and that's awesome. Let, let, let me ask you this. So if I understand this correctly, what you've done with these uh, with these protocols and so forth, it doesn't care what network you're on. It's not dependent on anything within the network per se. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, because it looks like an IP packet, and we can even flavor it to look like a UDP packet, means that it's transport agnostic. So as long right. as your transport can support those protocols, then we're good to go. So, you know, we, we're just the bookends. We don't care what the glue is in the middle, as long as we can see each other on the other side, right? So whether it's satellite, um, the internet, 5G, we've done stuff on microwave links and, you know, all kind of different things, then we're good to go. Again, it goes back to that simplicity of I can give you something cool, but I don't want you to have to change everything to use it, right? And I think that's what we've accomplished. So, and then you talk about, still needing to move something. Mm-hmm. What you're describing almost sounds like a form of, um, you know, buffering that everybody has seen anytime they've fired up a video and they don't have enough horsepower in their machine. And so it's constantly stopping and, and starting. It is, is that idea of 
just enough information traversing from point A to point B, sort of a similar idea to that analogy, or is it, is it something different? It's a little bit different because if you think about what buffering is, you're starting from you know the beginning of the movie and you're going to buffer whatever they do, minute ahead right. of time, two minutes ahead of time, something like that. Right. Remember, we're, we're able to bounce around. So if the app says I would like something different and it's not linear in sequence, then we can accommodate that. Right. So we, it's, it's a little bit more flexible. Now, remember, one of the other things that's kind of unique, and we get this question a lot. People say, OK, um, so you're not using TCP or UDP. You're not using these other protocols, but they're really good at recovering information. Well, well, if you're not using these things, what happens if you lose information? And that applies to some of the buffering, right? Some of the buffering will slow right. down if it has to rebuffer because it had errors. So what we've done is a couple of different things, but I'll highlight one of them is that we only put data on the wire that is going to be delivered in a way that the other end is ready and willing to accept it, right? I always use my, my kids as an analogy when they, were, when they were teenagers, right? Which is, you know, I'm trying to talk to my, one of my teenage kids and they're on their phone. What's happening in my conversation? <laughs> you know, it's going nowhere, right? It's being yeah, dropped exactly. in a big bucket. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> you know, a better approach is to wait till they get off the phone and then say, oh, they look at you and say, oh, well, what would you like to say? And then you say something, you know it's going to get in, right? We do kind of the same thing, meaning that I'm not going to put data unless my teenage client at the other side says, okay, now I'm ready to receive data. And oh, by the way, you can send me this much. So that guarantees us kind of a lossless network so that in combination with it being very fast, being very selective, we also make sure that we just don't flood things that we might have a chance of dropping, right? So it's, it's right, these right. kind of things that put together the help that you can think of it as, as selective caching or selective, you know, preloading or, or anything like that. Uh, but it's a way to kind of, you know, make efficiencies throughout the different layers of the stack that, that allow you to move information or value from one point to another. So the, the, the network, it doesn't really care. What about the actual uh, end user? If you're an organization mm -hmm that you know has a lot of data and they're trying to leverage something like this uh what do they need to do from an end user perspective does it do do i need a specific kind of uh computer in terms of that that end point do i need to do something else or is mm -hmm. this again going back to the whole quote unquote magic or is this something <laughs> that i you can literally drop in and you know pixie dust pixie dust and it, it works not to oversimplify it but i think you know what i mean no, I absolutely do, 100%. And again, that goes back to I don't want to have to have people change everything in the planet to use this, right? So we talked right. about what happens in the middle, right? Standard IP stuff. But yeah, from a client perspective, the last thing we want to do is have to install software on, you know, let's say you have 20 people, uh, 20 analysts in an organization that want to do something with remote data, right? I can give them access to it, but if I got to put software on their machines and I have to manage it, and there's operational costs, there might be training, you know, I don't want to do these kinds of things. So what we did is we made it look like a standard storage device. And what do I mean by that? Okay. That means to the users, to my laptop, as I use it as an example, right? We just look like a, you know, you went to Best Buy and bought a storage device, just stuck it in the architecture somewhere. It's not in line. And the way you get to it is you just create a standard network share on your laptop, let's say, and you point it to the local vicinity thing that's in your environment. So these are open protocols, things like NFS and SMB and object. Right? And the beauty behind that is there's no software on the machines. Most machines already have the ability to make network shares. That's just part of everybody's operating system now, right? So you take advantage of what people know how to do. Um, I'll give an example. You know, we do a lot in the federal government. And the last thing you want to do is create a really cool tech with a lot of value that then you have to go to the, all the operators and have them be trained. 
because, you know, they move around and, you know, they might be there a year and by the time they get trained, they're off something else. So we wanted sure. to create something that people understand and, and not only the people and the users and the admins, but the computers already have the ability to use very simply. So that just, it's again, it's just standard folders and shares and objects. So yeah, it's a good point. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So one of the things that's happening with, again, this explosion of data, uh, mm -hmm. not just for data, but for general compute and digital infrastructure in general is obviously the explosion of things like public cloud and then edge uh, infrastructure to use as part of a distributed work model, distributed data model, and so forth. In, in that type of scenario where a customer may say, you know what, Steve, that's really great but I'm, I'm using my AWS, my Azure, and maybe I'm doing something with a provider with, with Edge and so forth. Is there, uh, I guess, two questions. How does this vicinity solution play in that world? And then two, is there, um, is there any advantage? Does it fill any gaps that somebody may not get even from the, the, the more mature uh, public cloud infrastructure than, again, what we're doing with Edge and other similar technologies? Yeah, yeah, good question. So remember, I mean, this, this tech is about removing the distance between where my data and my information and my value is compared to where my compute is, right? So it's not about if, if everything's in the same four walls of a building or all my data and all my computer in the cloud, there's, there's no value here, right? So just make sure we understand that. But right. what we've seen in the industry, and it's really matured over the last you know, couple of years with the cloud, where the original model was, okay, you want to use the cloud, give me your data and we'll give you some compute and you can, off you go, right? Everything's fine. And what we're seeing now is that in some cases, you know, maybe I have a customer or I have a, a, a business where I can't move my data to the cloud. Maybe there's compliance reasons or data sovereignty, or maybe my data changes too frequently, right? right. And by the time I move it up, it's always old, it's always stale, um, or it's too big, right? Or maybe I want to use different clouds. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons why some people just, the model's breaking. And the whole, if you think about hybrid cloud, what is hybrid cloud, right? And hybrid cloud is, hey, I want to use multiple clouds and I want to be able to move my applications from prem to cloud and do all these kinds of things. But it's not true hybrid cloud yet because you're still having to have the data follow, right? So now what we think is, look at it from a different lens, which is I can keep my compute in the cloud and not have to have my data there, meaning I now have true hybrid cloud. I can keep my data on-prem and pick the cloud of choice, right? Maybe I want to use AWS in this instance. They have a unique capability or cost structure. Uh, maybe I want to use Azure. Maybe I want to use Google or your Oracle, name your cloud, right? But the idea is I want that flexibility. I want a true hybrid environment where I can pick and choose a compute of choice, move my applications all day long, but keep my data under my control if the event occurs that I need for my business, I need to have that data sit on-prem. Right. So it's a whole different experience in using the cloud. I, I think what you're seeing is, you know, in a lot of cases, there are mandates where people say, I want to use compute. I want to use elastic compute in the cloud. It's fantastic. There's applications. You know, I can do very common things between edge compute and, and cloud compute, um, even space. Right. I mean, there's a lot of commonalities across the board, but yeah. my data has to stay, you know, in a certain location for certain reasons. So, you know, the cloud is a, is a very good use case for this. Um, the other part, though, you think about edge. Right. You know, what, what, what is the, you know, the new term is edge. A couple of years ago it was cloud, right? Now, now everything is edge. Right. And, you know, what does that mean? Well, if you think about where all the data is being created, it's being created at the edge, right? We're seeing that. Sure. Um, 
And some of the problems are, it's not one edge, it's lots of edges. And right. what if I want to share data between edges? Or what if I want to share an edge between multiple cloud applications, right? All of a sudden, this starts to fall apart. I don't want to make copies of data and send it to every cloud or make copies and send it to every edge. So now, if you think about the business model or the use case of what does this technology mean, right? I don't have to put my data and compute anymore beside each other. Huh. Okay. So now I can have edges talking to edges in real time. I can have cloud applications talk to my edge data in real time, right? I mean, this is a whole different paradigm of getting that real-time insight for artificial intelligence, right? Now, the other piece, though, a lot of times people say, well, this is your, your, your competitor to edge, right? Edge compute, right? Because you can compute at the right. edge on your data. Well, sure you can, right? And we, we actually complement that, right? The more data that's dispersed out in geographically, the, <laughs> you know, that's manna from heaven for us. So if you think about edge compute, let me, let me give an example. So let's talk about AI, right? The whole idea behind AI is I want real-time insights, right? Machine learning is more about accuracy. AI is more about, you know, give me real-time insights for my business. And one of the problems though is, you know, I, let's say I want to run the AI engine in the cloud. It takes a lot of compute to do that. But I want to look at maybe 10 different edges. They're very disparate. Maybe one's social media, one's retail, one's past history, one's, you know, whatever. And the problem, though, is you have to kind of normalize or curate or find commonality across those edges before you feed it to the cloud. Right. So that's a perfect where a perfect spot where edge compute comes into play. Right. Use that edge compute to curate or normalize the data so it's prepped and ready to go and then feed it to the cloud. Well, the past problem was the term feed, meaning I can process it really fast, but if I have to copy the data to the cloud, by the time I get there, it's old, right? Sure. Or it's despaired or it's not synchronized. I got nine edges, I'm waiting for the last one, right? right? Well, with us, what happens is, yeah, you can curate the data and normalize it across the edges, but then you have instant reach and instant access to it from the, the mothership per se that runs the AI engine. So now you have things like geo-distributed AI, right? In real time. And, and these concepts are kind of new, Right. Normally moving information around and copy gets in the way. So now all of a sudden you have a whole different approach to look at how do I do AI? How do I do machine learning? How do I empower my edge in a different way that I could never really imagine before? Yeah, it, it's funny you talk about having multiple edges, which uh, if you even take the take the uh, the edge moniker out of it, it's just mm -hmm. multiple locations. It's on premise, it's public cloud, it's private cloud and everything in between. A few years ago, I had heard somebody, and I and I sort of glommed onto this term. Somebody say we don't have we're moving from data centers to centers of data, mm -hmm. which I yeah. thought was a, a kind of a, a cool analogy. Um, so going back to this idea that, and and correct me if I'm wrong, that it used to be that depending um, depending on the type of compute and analysis you wanted to do across a piece of data, you had to move it typically somewhere within closer proximity to that compute. And yeah. so the data was always in flight, if you will, because you needed it to be in flight. That was the only mm -hmm. way to do it. Now what you're saying is, and whether it's for compliance reasons, data sovereignty, um, we hear about it with, you know, we talk about it with uh, GDPR in U Europe, for example, where you're collecting data has to stay in country. Mm -hmm. it, it seems like we flipped that on its head, that the data can stay in the same location but using the type of solutions and technology that that um, vicinity is is making available, you can change up the compute against that same data, and the data never moves in most yeah. use cases. I assume, right? 
Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, GDPR, there's there's a lot of gray area there, but yeah, the concept is the same, right? You know, sure. Don't move the data and only move what the application wants unless the application actually writes a work product. That's the only right. thing that stays. Once the application is done, it flushes out of memory and the data is gone, right? Um, I'll give you two examples. So think about life sciences, right? The world today, all the COVID research and everything that people are doing, right? One of the things when you look at cybersecurity and you know just the security of information, if, if I have to move my data to the cloud or maybe I have to move it to three or four different data centers, the traditionally... If I had three people that wanted to look at it and they were in three locations, what happened? Well, I make three copies of the data and I move it around, right? Right, exactly. And, you know, from a storage perspective, well, I have to have a footprint to land it, so there's storage costs there. But from a security perspective, the more copies I have, the larger my attack vector and the better chance that somebody's going to do something with it, right? So if I can decrease my storage footprint globally of multiple copies, now I'm, I'm reducing my risk that something's going to happen with that, right? So let's go back to the, the life sciences example, right? We've done stuff where, you know, let's say people are doing electron microscopy data or some kind of lab research. The last thing they want to do is have the data leave the building as complete data sets, right? But they don't have the compute locally to do the things they want to do. So I want to leverage cloud. They, you know, they, they want to leverage this elastic compute. In the past, the only option they had was, well, either I buy more compute on-prem or... I release my, my risk and I, I move all my data up to the cloud. Now there's a whole different different paradigm, right? And you, you, and you, you think about what Loomis is doing, right? you're the glue that puts all this together, right? Now I can you know, create a, an extensibility between the cloud and these labs that say, don't move your data, but you want to use the elastic compute in the cloud, pick your cloud, no problem, right? So it's, it's a compliment to not only the users, but it's a compliment to what I think what you guys are doing, what we're bringing to the industry as a whole, right? Um, the other one I'll give you an example of is uh, media entertainment. Right. I used to think that, um, you know, the most secure uh, people on the planet were the U.S. government with their data. And until I met the media entertainment guys and, <laughs> you know, when we're working on a billion dollar next Marvel movie, uh, it's a pretty, pretty tight ship. Right. And right. Um, one thing that we've been able to show is in some cases, I'll give an example for rendering. Right. Maybe maybe they want to use rendering in the cloud. There's a lot of, of great value to that. But for compliance reasons, I can't move my data up there. Right. I can't right. move my entire movie, but maybe I can move individual components that render at any given time. And that's what we've been able to do is actually showcase where people are using, you know, 30, 40,000 cores in, in a particular cloud, but keeping the data, you know, in their control, in their risk and in, in where the investors are at, you know, I'm controlling all that kind of stuff. So it's a, it's a different way to to kind of leverage my resources from a compute perspective against all the locations of where my data might be. Yeah. I was going to say, I could think of, you know, media entertainment as one industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are, what are other, uh, I guess, when you look at, you said you do a lot of work with the federal government, which Mm -hmm. I I could imagine with, with this type of technology, but in terms of traditional industry, I could see areas where in healthcare, you talk about uh, having a cluster of clinics uh, and you talk about if you look at radiology and mm-hmm. you know film X-rays having to be moved around large files that typically, uh, you know, maybe the best you can get is near real time because they were just too huge. You had to move them first and so forth. Are there any particular industries other than media entertainment that are you know set up to be able to fully leverage and really add a competitive advantage to their industries just because of what they're dealing with from a data perspective? Oh yeah, absolutely. And in fact, it's you know. 
what we've created is, is a great thing, but it's also a curse because it's, it's so horizontal in nature. It applies right. to any industry that has data like in different locations. Uh, sure. but yeah. So let, me, let me highlight a couple of those. Um, you know, so healthcare, obviously, me entertainment, obviously. Um, if you look at um, the energy sector, right, for okay. example, oil and gas, right? right. Know, we did some stuff where um, we were working with a company where they would take a, uh, they would take a boat and they would go out into the ocean floor, let's say in South America, and do a sensor sweep, seismic survey, right, of the ocean floor to see if there was oil there or not. The problem, though, is they weren't doing the, an, the analysis on the boat. They would wait till the boat came back and they would transfer the data, you know, up to, let's say, Houston, where the compute and the analysts were. And it would take you know, a week to do that. Um, you could speed it up with a helicopter or something like that. And you see that in the Fed government throw it on a C-130 and, and hope it gets there. <laughs> exactly. <right? laughs> um, but, you know, so the, the, the approach was, well, let's let's try something different. And, you know, we, we drop the architecture in. Again, it's a bookend. One could talk to many, but the idea is you put one, you know, let's say in South America and one up in, in Houston, Texas. And all of a sudden now, as soon as that boat docks and they plug into a, to a Lumen network, then, that's, you know, maybe at a, at, a, at a Colo or something like that, all of a sudden the analysts in Houston can get immediate access to that data. So I went from waiting a week where the, you know, the, the, the boat sitting around, you know, fueling up and the, the, the crew's doing whatever the crew does. Um, and all of a sudden now I have immediate access to it. So if I can save a week off of that, that workflow, you know, that's huge from a business perspective, you know, and that's, that's a case where, you know, the, it's not so much the perishability of data, right? I don't think the oil's under the, the ocean floor is going to go <laughs> anywhere in a week, right, right. but, um, you know, in terms of business value, that, that brings a different, you know, insight into that information. So, you know, that there's an example there. Um, there's tons, tons and tons of industries, right? Um, yeah. so I'll, I'll give you another example, autonomous vehicles, right? Okay. Where, I have, let's say, 20, 30 vehicles in a, in a major city running around all day long. And they come home, run back to a garage, and you know they offload terabytes and terabytes of data into a, into a, a rack in the garage. Right. And then all the people around the world, which you know all the engineers, the analysts, have to get to that information. And traditionally, what they would do is, okay, all the data is in the garage. Now let's start copying it, right? And they have to wait time to get that data. Uh, all uh, different approaches, well, that the analyst immediately hit it. And I'm, t- I'm not taking it off the car. I'm just taking it from the garage, right? So now I can get instant access to, you know, a petabyte of data from all these autonomous vehicles, which could come into play for security, um, safety, you know, all these different things. So there's a there's definitely a value there. Um, you know, one of the things we've been working on, just give a little bit of a, you know, what are we doing next kind of thing, right? Yeah, it's, great. You know, we started out with, um, you know, pretty big pipes, you know, 100 gig and appliances and all that kind of stuff. And the company's evolved into pretty much just pure software or firmware some hardware assist, right? You know, FPGAs, things like that. But um, we're also looking to get far, uh, farther and farther down from, you know, the big stuff into the small stuff. So, you know, maybe I can put a VM, uh, you know, in a, in a particular car. And since I can run on 5G and things like that, well, I can give you real, real-time insights from, you know, Europe to a car that's driving in the US, right? Which is almost impossible now. There's lots of hops, right? So, you know, there's a whole different approach to doing these things. Now that we're getting people to understand what's possible, now we can start thinking about what's really cool in the next step and how do we take advantage of this and leverage it. So just a, a couple more questions because now, mm-hmm. now you've got the, got the brain really working here. <laughs> um, we, so we talked about, everything you talked about is this idea that you don't have to move the data. Mm-hmm. Um, you reach in um, and you can access it and get insights from it. How does vicinity play when, for one reason or the other, you do have to transfer data? Mm-hmm. Is there, and again, just based on what I saw on the website, I saw some interesting um, uh, case studies you guys have where, or uh, vicinity has, where 
you've actually transferred, you know, petabytes of data across, I think across the U.S. in one of the use cases, mm -hmm. um, and, and basically showed how uh, even when there is a data transfer use case, that there is an advantage to the way you leverage the technologies that, that Vicinity has put together. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's 100%. So let me give you a little history. So when the company was first created and, and you know working on some stuff for the government, the whole focus was how do I move data from A to B faster? And how do I do it without touching the data? Meaning I can't compress it, I can't dedupe it, which we still do today, right? You, you, we, we don't manipulate the data in any way, shape, or form. Sure. So, you know, we did that very well, um, pretty much faster than anything you're going to see. And then we realized that we could evolve it to where you don't have to move the data. That's what we had been talking about. But you're absolutely right. There still is two sides of the vicinity coin. Uh, one is just reaching and use the data in real time. The other one is, hey, the technology still allows you to move data from A to B very, right. very fast. And, you know, a couple very interesting things about that is, one, it's deterministic. And two, um, but, you know, there's a speed associated with it. But let me, let me explain what I mean by that. And a lot of times you say, okay, I have, I have WAN op or, you know, all those things. And, and that's what we're not, right? But um, we, have, we have instances where I maybe need to back up a certain amount of information for compliance, let's say. You know, I'm a bank. I have to back up whatever, 100 terabytes a, a night. And, you know, if I don't, then I'm in trouble. And right. sometimes you get in the morning, you're like, well, did my backups finish? Now? You don't really know sometimes. And it's because you don't have this, this kind of deterministic or linear scale associated with that movement. And that's what vicinity has changed. Let me explain what I mean by that. So let's talk about this, this linear scale thing. What, what I mean by that. And the idea is that um, we move roughly 10 and a half terabytes of, of information, regardless of distance, for every gigabit of bandwidth that we're given to use. And, and we, we, you know, we can manipulate how much bandwidth we're able to use. So if you have a one gig circuit, I can move 10 and a half terabytes, right? But being it's that it's linear, if I have a right. 10 gig circuit, I can move 100 terabytes. If I have a 100 gig circuit, I move a petabyte. And to reference what you did or what you mentioned, yeah, we moved the petabyte across the country on a 100 gig circuit in under a day, right? So it's very linear. It's one of these things where you can go in and say, if I have this much data and this much time, this is the network that I need. Or if this is the network that I have, and I have this much time, how much data can I move? So it, that, that's kind of nice. You, you remove the risk associated with, you know, how long would it actually take and can I guarantee that it will? I'll give an example for that petabyte test that we did. Um, it, I think we did it three times. And the first time it was 23 hours and like 26 minutes or something, whatever the numbers are. But I ran that, I actually was the one who did it, and I ran it um, three times. And each time it only varied by two or three minutes over the course of almost 24 hours. So that shows that determinism as well. Right. So it's not only linear in scale, but it's very deterministic. And that goes back to the comment of I'm not going to put data on the wire unless the other end is ready to receive it. You know, along with right. all the other stuff that we do. So, yeah, if you just need to move data from A to B, um, you know, it's 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 wicked fast, but it's also can create an SLA for, you know, your users that say, hey, when you use Luma Network, great. I can guarantee you a delivery window that nobody else can touch. Right. Because I can guarantee the, you know, the amount based on the data and the time. It, it also, in a sense, I guess, kind of highlights in, you know, traditional model of I've got a lot of data to move. I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to get, you know, a hundred gig pipe mm -hmm. that the reality of it is, I assume when you compare what vicinity is doing versus a traditional means, how much of that bandwidth are you not leveraging for what you pay? I mean, I, I, I get now that everything's moved to, you know, pay as you go and so forth, but that seems like. I mean, is it a huge gap compared to what you're able to, to do or 
Yeah, it's interesting that you, that you bring that up because, you know, a lot of times when you first look at a tech, it's like, oh, people aren't going to need the amount of networks that, we, that we're selling. And it's really the reverse. What, what we find is people actually say, oh, I can actually use and do more with the network that I have, which I wasn't possible right. able to do before, right? So it's not just, right. yeah, I can move this, but now I can move these other things as well, or I can do a little bit of reach in. So right. now I'm able to leverage what I currently have in a completely different way. Right. And as opposed to why well, I just don't need as much. We, we, I've never seen that. <laughs> it's always yeah. people get excited about what are the things they can do that they couldn't do before. Yeah, that's awesome. So let me let me ask you this just to make sure I, I, I don't this doesn't come across as this is magical. It'll clean your house. It'll drive your <laughs> car and everything else. Uh, what are the things that this technology either isn't suited for mm -hmm. or doesn't do a great job at that you know somebody listening to this would say okay it'll do a b and c d maybe kind of sort of e definitely not because that's a whole different um you know can of worms that we have to deal with yeah no that's a good point and you know it's it's important what it does but uh, i agree it's it's uh, almost as important of what it doesn't do where it doesn't fit right so again this technology is about removing the barrier of distance. So if there's no distance to begin with, there's no value, meaning we're not going to speed up the, the, the data within a data center or within a small little campus, right? That's not what it's about. The other thing, though, is it's not really good for very small, high-speed transactional things. And I'm referring to things like high-frequency trading, right? Or very small database queries where, you know, it's just a couple of bytes of a query. We're not going to speed that up, right? The other thing that it, it isn't good for is if you look at live streaming, right? I'm not talking about streaming from a file or something like that, but live streaming data, um, we're not we're not really going to do much with that. This is really about getting access to file, to, you know, um, unstructured data, um, also to object, right? You know, we've done a lot of things with big databases, but the individual queries and some of those things, that's, that's, that's not really a good fit for. Yeah, good point. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Where do you, you talked a little bit about where vicinity is going in terms of innovation. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems to me, again, just in, you know, prepping for this and, you know, obviously having spent a long time working in this industry, that this is still very esoteric. There's still there's still a lot to be done to sort of you look at a technology like this and you go, wow, how accessible can we make it to everybody? I'm sure that's part of Vicinity's mm -hmm. strategic plan. What do you think it a what do you think it takes um, to be able to to be able to have organizations that may either not understand it still or just not aware of it, um, uh, you know, look to to at least, um, you know, demo it for themselves to a proof of concept. And then where do you think this whole idea of uh, both access and transfer, if you had to if you had to be your version of Arthur C. Clarke and what he did in his books that he wrote, you know, in the sixties and so forth, where do you see this going? Because the data isn't abating anytime soon. It's just going to continue to increase. And as I said earlier uh, at the beginning of the, the, uh, the episode, it's a real superpower. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I know from, you know, from Lumen's perspective, um, our data and our data governance and our models and what we do with our chief data officer is foundational, not just in terms of informing our products, but, um, you know, our customer success model. Um, mm -hmm. Where do you see it going as a technologist? And, and then how do you see this being more uh, widely adopted or, or um, adapted and understood? Sure. Yeah. And, and you hit the nail on the head, right? The, the, the biggest problem with vicinity is nobody's ever heard of us, right? And if, if they kind of see the tech, um, they, they, they get it. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of easy to explain, but it is very different. It's hard to believe.
oh, so you mean I can actually run an application and touch my phone as opposed to hitting buttons, right? You know, right, exactly. things. And exactly. a lot of that is just awareness. And, you know, one of the things that vicinity is doing is, you know, working with our partners to really get the message out that this is real. Um, you know, it's been it's been created by the Fed government, which is a pretty good use case, right? Um, you know, they yeah. put things to the ringer. So it, it exists it's, it, and it works. It's not some, you know, two guys in a garage and a great PowerPoint slide, right? It actually exists. Um, so that, I think that's one of the biggest things is to get, you know, awareness in the industry, work with the partners, work with the, you know, the gardeners and the other folks that, that help, you know, get the message out in a way that people understand it. And one of the things that is hard is describing where this fits, what bucket, right? Is this compute? Well, no, not really. Is it storage? Well, no, not really. Is it networking? Well, no, <laughs> not really. It's this, it's this way to kind of link them all together that, that, that is kind of unique. So that's one part of, you know, the answer to your question is, you know, we're spending a lot of time working through our, you know, the, the marketing that we have, the partners and everybody to get them to understand the value that we bring and be able to describe it in a way that people understand, uh, not necessarily what it does, but what it means. Why, why is it important? And, and you know, what problems does it solve that, you didn't even think were possible to solve before, right? So that's one thing. Um, the other part of that is, you know, because we're primarily a software company now, right? It's that, you know, getting people access to the to software is a lot easier than shipping appliances around. So, you know, we're in the in the cloud marketplaces. Um, uh, you know, we're we're doing some unique things there, but but the idea is that create a, a way that people can try this. You know, grab a virtual machine. Put it on either end and you know give it a whirl give you a, you know temp license and let let people try get that exposure out there yeah and i assume the more that you know vicinity continues what you're doing and everybody that you work with um you grow the use cases mm -hmm. you grow the proof points to be able to say here's the problem and the challenge we had here's how we used a solution like what vicinity brings to the table along with all the other components of a particular solution, and here's the outcome we have. Mm -hmm. The more of those proof points you have, then the more you sort of peek a little bit behind the curtain of the magic, and it's still probably going to be magic regardless of what you do, <laughs> but at least you get to peek behind it and say, no, this is an actual use case um, that we we looked at, that we had a challenge with, uh, looking for a better way to get that time to value, and we actually did it. Um, so I think that's, that's fantastic. Um, Steve, this is a fantastic conversation. I, I can't wait to see where you and vicinity go next. I think for um, the listeners, um, this idea of, again, time to value, especially when it comes to data, as I've said a couple of times in this um, episode, uh, is not going away. But the good thing is you have uh, technology like what vicinity has working on, certainly what um, Lumen has been trying to do with their platform and sort of the promise of this fourth industrial revolution. Um, to at least give everybody a chance, give every enterprise a chance that if time to value to data is not a uh, is not one of their superpowers today, mm -hmm. um, you could certainly get there. It may not be easy, but you're not in it alone because every business and every industry and so forth is going through it. And there's providers like like the vicinities and the Lumen here to help. Steve, did I miss anything? Any last uh, any last words? No, no, I, th I think we're good. Again, you know, the idea is, you know, move the apps all day, but don't move the data, right? You know, moving yeah. data sucks. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's your, there's your, there's your there's quote, quote of the day right there. Exactly. Every <laughs> CTO, will, every uh, CXO will appreciate that. Um, Steve, thanks. Thanks again. Looking forward to uh, more discussions in the, uh, in the future. And uh, thanks again for, um, for joining me to uh, talk about a very fascinating topic in this episode. Well, thank you, Terry. I appreciate it. This was fun.
Thanks for joining another episode of Light Data Action. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows. You can also follow us on Twitter at Light Data Action. As always, we'd love to get your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear on the show, and I hope you'll join us next time for another conversation.